Hey, good morning, Midtown. Uh, welcome uh, to worship this morning. I'm going to call us to worship. And uh, when I say that, that I'm going to call us to worship, uh, I'd really encourage you to think of it literally like when your phone's ringing and you're getting a call. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes I look down at the phone and decide, am I going to answer that phone call? Uh, or am I not? And part of what we believe about worship is that this is one of the primary ways that God literally stands at the door of our hearts and He knocks on that door and says, hey, I want to come in and I, I want to I dine with you, I want to feast with you, and I want to reveal to you uh, who I am and what I've done for you uh, in a profound way, and you need that. Uh, we desperately need, our hearts were designed to worship, and we need uh, to worship with the Lord and to worship the Lord uh, because our hearts will be prone to worship many other things. So would you dare to believe uh, this morning as I, as I read this passage from Isaiah that he is literally standing at the door and saying, answer the call. Answer the call because I have something for you this morning, and it's good. It's good for you. So this is Isaiah 55, uh, verses 1 to 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me, and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. Let's worship the Lord together. In times we come to the Lord this morning, let's do so remembering that our hope is in Christ and Christ alone.
pray together. Lord, I thank you that our hope is in you, that you invite us to come to you in our weariness, in our fear, and our hopelessness. And you say, come, buy and eat. Come to me. Lord, help us. Lord, help us in our hope, where our hope is weak. Would you give us the courage and the power and the strength through your spirit to place our hope squarely in Christ? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Midtown. Uh, As we enter this new series on prayer, I've been thinking a lot in the last few weeks about kind of the default prayers of my life. You know, like before... Uh, before I pray for dinner, if I, if, if I haven't really thought about what I want to pray, I always pray that God would bless his food to our bodies and our bodies to your service. Or when I was in college and I would call my grandma and ask her to pray for a test for me, she would always pray that God would make me smarter than I actually was, which I think is a pretty good prayer. Uh, and, and one of the other default prayers that I always grew up hearing was this prayer for traveling mercies. I don't know if people that you grew up with ever prayed for traveling mercies, but the general, I think, idea behind traveling mercies is that uh, travel can be hard, and there are a lot of unexpected things that might happen when you travel, and there are really too many things that could go wrong for you to name all, you know, all singly in your prayer. So you just kind of pray for traveling mercies, and that's like a giant catch-all for all the things that could go wrong. That's like praying that you would be on time, praying that your car wouldn't run out of gas, or if you're flying, it's like praying that no one would sit in the middle seat and that Southwest would take your expired drink coupons. But you just put them all together in one prayer. Right? So that's, that's this prayer for, for traveling mercies. And for a lot of us, the way that we engage with prayer, the ways that we engage with, with God in prayer is like praying for traveling mercies. We're kind of stuck in the routine prayers of our life. We're asking God to smooth out the bumps in our day, and that's kind of it, if if we're even praying at all. And guys, God has so much more for us in our prayer life. And And I don't want to shame any of those prayers for the everyday things in our lives. Guys, those things are like the... Uh, they're like the appetizers at a wedding. Like, when I go to weddings, I, I love the appetizers. Those little caprese pops, you know, with the mozzarella and the tomatoes, I could eat those all day. But someone has paid for a feast that's much greater than the little caprese pops, right? And, and if I sit down for a, for a wedding meal, and someone comes to bring me this beautiful feast that they've picked out with such care, and I say, no, 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 can you just bring me some more of those tomato, tomato skewers? Right? That would be, that'd be missing the point. There's so much more. And that's true for us, Midtown, with prayer. That God has so much more for us than only praying for the everyday things of our lives. And man, in, in this season of, of isolation, of our, our rhythms being disrupted, of profound loneliness, of seeing all of this injustice in our world, we believe that God is calling us deeper into prayer. And that's where we're going this summer. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 1. We're going to be continuing in this passage that, uh, that Elliot started us in last week. This is Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason... 
Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul's prayer here is deep and, it, and it's rich. And we're going to be talking about just two aspects of this prayer. We're going to be talking about Paul's approach to prayer. And we're going to be talking about Paul's request, Paul's prayer request. So his approach and his request. So in talking about Paul's approach to prayer, I think we have to talk about how we approach prayer. So in, in 2014, the Pew Research Institute did a survey about prayer across America. And what they found is that 55% of Americans say that they pray every day. That 70, 77% of Americans say they pray at least once a month. And 20% of people who identify with religion not at all would say that they 20% of those people pray every day. And what that tells us is that there's something very fundamental about prayer that's, that's baked into who we are as people. But why do we pray? Why are all these people praying? And, and, and how do we approach prayer? Right? Does prayer really change things? Like, does it matter that you pray? And God is sovereign, right? He's totally in control. He's totally powerful. He knows all things. So why bother praying? Isn't God just going to do what he wants to do anyway? Or maybe you don't think that God exists at all. In that case, why pray? And then for some people, honestly, it's, it's the health benefits of praying. There are plenty of studies that would tell us that if we express thankfulness in our lives, that it's good for us. That us taking uh, the things that we want most and releasing them out into the universe, that it, it helps some people come to terms with the lack of control that they experience in their lives. And, and that's a good thing. Is Paul praying here because it's good for his health? Is he just towing some kind of religious line? No. That's not why Paul is praying. Paul has a different approach to prayer than the approach that we so often bring to prayer. Paul believed that prayer was an expression of his relationship with God. Paul was profoundly shaped by his conviction that prayer was a relational exercise. And we see that all throughout this passage. It starts all the way back in verse 2 of the chapter that Elliot read for us last week. In verse 2, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 16, it says that the, in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. 
Paul has this deep abiding conviction that God is our Father. And the fatherhood of God is the foundation, it's the fountainhead of all of Paul's prayers. That if you are in Christ, you have been grafted into the family of God. And what that means is that God is now your father. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, Jesus taught them first with the words, our father who art in heaven. That what Jesus is communicating to his disciples is that his relationship to God the Father as the second member of the Trinity is now the same as their relationship to God as Father. That Jesus would say to to his disciples, to us, in the same way that I relate to God as Father, God is now your Father. Scripture tells us in Romans 8.32 that God who gave up his Son for us, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? that our God is a good father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. And if if God is so good then, why do we have to ask? Doesn't God know what we need before we say a word? Prayer itself is one of the good gifts that God has given us. Because prayer is an invitation to a relationship with God as our Father. What Scripture teaches throughout its pages is that our God has so designed the universe that our prayers are a way that He desires and delights to enter into our world. And He set that up because what He desires with us is relationship. That we're a people who have been designed for relationship, not only with other people, but with our Creator. And prayer is a gateway that God has created for you and I to enter into that relationship with Him as as our Heavenly Father, as our good Father who delights to give us good gifts. So prayer then is not a wrestling match with God. It's not a way of us twisting God's arm to get what we want. No, prayer is us crying out to our Father in dependence. Like, have you ever had someone in your life get really sick? And man, what's, what's our reaction in situations like that? Well, we pray, of course. And that's because there's something about sickness that bumps us up against our fundamental lack of control in our own lives. And the reality is that in our spiritual life, we are just as dependent on God every day as, as we feel our dependence in those moments when we butt up against a really challenging form of sickness that we're a people who are dependent on our God for healing and for transformation. And so the discipline of prayer is the discipline of us engaging with our Father from our state of helplessness on the reg. That's why it's a discipline. It's something that we get to do every single day and grow in. It's engaging with our helplessness with our Father who delights to meet us there. And that's Paul's approach to prayer in this passage. So from that approach to prayer, then what kind, of, what kind of request does that lead to in Paul? So here's what Paul cries out for his friends in Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. I mean, that sounds really good, doesn't it? 
But what does that actually mean? That Paul would pray that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And let's do a, a little review of what Elliot talked about last week. Elliot walked us through Ephesians 1 and talked about all of the things that we have in Christ, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, that we've been adopted according to the purpose of His will, that we've been blessed in the beloved, that we have redemption, that we have forgiveness, that He's made known to us the mystery of His will, that in Him we've obtained an, inherit an inheritance and an inheritance that's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, after all of those things, therefore, for this reason, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Because what Paul knows from his personal experience as a human and his personal experience working with the people of God day in and day out is that it's possible for us to know things that are true about God and yet those things not work themselves out into our everyday lives. Paul knows that there's a gap between what we could answer on a theology test about God and what we can feel and experience and live out of in the very core of our being. And what Paul is praying is that those two things would come together, that all of these promises that are true for us in Christ would be things that come to characterize the way that we see ourselves and see our world and see our relationship to our Father that we would be transformed by the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. Like have, you, have you ever met a person who is a Christian who, who can tell you all of the correct things about God and is a horrible person to be around? Do you know anybody like that in your life? Who can tell you all the right things about God, but at the root of it is just kind of mean or self-righteous? How does that happen? And sometimes we can think that means that that person isn't a Christian or that means that, 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 that something about what that person believes isn't true, and that's not it at all. That there's a gap, there's a gap for that person between what they know is true in Christ and, and what they live and experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Because here's, what's hap here's what happens when you, when you become a Christian. Okay, the Holy Spirit... This is what Romans tells us. The Holy Spirit enters our heart. He takes up his home there. He makes his home there. And when he makes his home in our hearts, what he is constantly crying out to God is, Abba, Father. That the Holy Spirit is at work in you, doing this relational connection between you and God. But that what we can do as Christians is we can fight against that. It's like living with noise-canceling headphones on that we're tuning out all of, all of the prayers that the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf, and, and, we, and we fail to engage with the work that God is about in our lives. Friends, what, what if, in all of the disruption of our rhythms right now, what God is screaming out to us is, would you take off your noise-canceling headphones? Would the pain and the loneliness and the sadness of what we're experiencing right now, would that be actually what drives us to recognize that we have something crying out in our hearts to God as our Father, saying, God, help us? And here's what Paul knows. 
This is so encouraging to me. We can't enlighten the eyes of our own hearts. That's why Paul prays that God would reveal himself to us. That, that we're helpless when it comes to bringing the kind of revelation that we need to experience deep and transformative change in our lives. But what Paul also knows is that our God delights in bringing that kind of revelation to us. Look at verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this phrase, Father of glory, what, what Paul is saying is that we have a God who delights to go public, that we have a God who loves to make his name known, and he loves to make his name known. He loves to reveal himself in and through his people. And when Paul is praying for revelation, he's not praying for some new truth. What he's praying for is that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to what we already know is true. That's the kind of revelation that Paul knows that we need. And he knows that's the kind of revelation that our God delights to pour into us. So let's talk then about specifically what Paul prays for beyond enlightening the eyes of our hearts. Because he goes beyond that. He builds on that core prayer in verse 18. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now he goes on and he prays also for, for some other things. But we're just going to focus on that piece right there. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And in, in the last few weeks, this has been a really challenging and encouraging prayer for me, a really convicting prayer, because often I have felt like what I'm trying to do in my life is guard this tiny flame of hope that I'm feeling, that I'm trying to keep this flame from going out. Like when you're carrying, you know, a birthday cake, and you're trying to shield the candles so they don't blow out before you get to the person who's going to blow them out. That's how, that's how I have felt in my day-to-day -day life. There have been days that have felt so hopeless to me. And, and I have strategies for dealing with the days that I feel hopeless, right? Like, okay, I know I need to take care of myself. I need to rest. I need to sleep, do this, do that. But it doesn't matter how good my routine is. I, I have not been able to generate hope in myself and for myself. And and what Paul is saying here is, of course you can't do that. But you have a father, I have a father, who delights to take this tiny flame of, of hopefulness that we're trying to protect. And he says, no, don't, don't live in fear. He says, I want to blow that up into a bonfire of hope in you. But that's not something you can do for yourself. That instead we come to God our Father. The invitation here is that we would come to God our Father and say, God, would you create a bonfire of hope in my heart? And here's the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that we have a, we have a God who has come for us, who has revealed himself to us, who has forgiven our sins and restored our relationship with him, and that he has promised us one day he is coming back. 
and that he's going to bring a kingdom where justice rolls down like mighty waterfalls and where our experience of love and of joy is as deep as the oceans. And that's going to be our experience day to day to day. That's our hope. But he also tells us in this passage that the same Christ that's been raised from the dead has been seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion. And that same Jesus who is coming back to bring a new heavens and a new earth here, that same Jesus is on the throne in heaven now. That same Jesus is ruling and reigning now is what Paul is saying in this passage. God, would you wake up my heart to the hope that you are reigning and ruling, that you are actively at work in our world now? Because if my hope is dependent on my ability to think about a way that all of the things that I want to happen are going to work out in the world, I'm going to be hopeless. And friends, if if you haven't noticed in the last few weeks, we live in a hard, hard world a world that beats up against our hope every day and fights to break it down. But as Christians, we have a hope that is in a much more sure place. It's not in our ability to future cast some positive reality. We have a hope that frees us from the need to do that, that frees us to embrace the reality of a Christ who is ruling and reigning now. And so we pray. We pray, God, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts to the hope that we have in you? And one of the things that I love about this prayer, and and we overlooked this so quickly, is that Paul isn't praying for himself in this prayer. That's how how I have been praying this prayer in the last week. That's not how Paul is praying this prayer. Paul is praying this prayer for his friends. Just let that sink in for a moment. That Paul Paul is telling his friends, I do not cease to thank God for you. That whenever I think of you and I think of, of you coming from spiritual death into spiritual life, I rejoice and I thank God for that. And then, as someone who is who is deeply in touch with his relationship with the Father and knows the needs that he has and he knows the needs of his friends, what he prays for his friends is that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to the hope that they have in Christ. Just just imagine, just imagine what it would be like if as a community we stacked hands on this idea and we said, we're going to pray not only for ourselves, but we're going to pray for Midtown. We're going to pray for the church in Nashville that God would open our eyes to the hope that we have in Christ. Do you think that God answering that prayer would change our city? You think it would change our communities? Of of course it would. And so again, the the call here is not to shame all of the other things that we pray for for our friends. The, The call is when we let those things that we pray for be a gateway into deeper prayers for our friends. That we would be thoughtful in the ways that we engage with our own need and the need of the people around us in asking God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts. That we would be be bringing our friends and our communities before God, praying that he would do the work in them that 
that they can't do for themselves. Because isn't that the, the place that we most often feel our helplessness? In seeing people who we love and wanting them to, to change and knowing that, that we can't accomplish that on our own. And so often what I do is I double down then on my efforts to change the people around me, which I will tell you is not very effective and, and uh, is just, it, it's no good for a relationship. And instead, Paul was calling us here into something else. Hey, would you pray that God would enlighten the hearts, the eyes of the hearts of the people around you? So we've talked about how Paul approaches prayer. We've talked about Paul's prayer requests. And Midtown, I want to challenge you this week. Would you, would you pray? Would you practice this relationship with your father this week? Would you practice this relationship of dependence? Would you even commit this summer to, to doing your part in, in maturing? There's a reason Paul tells us all of these truths. It's because we do have a part to play in God enlightening our hearts. And part of that is us crying out to God, would you do a work in us to change us and transform us? Would you engage with prayer this week? Would you come to the feast that God has prepared for us in and through prayer? Yes, for your sake, but also for the sake of the people around you, for your friends, for your family, for our community, and for our city. Pray with me. Father, uh, it is a gift that we get to approach you as Father and one that we so often take for granted. Lord, would you put our roots down deeper in the reality that you see us as your children and that you tell us to approach your throne with confidence because of that. Lord, would we see our dependence and our helplessness not not as things to run away from, but realities to embrace because they bring us to you. And God, we pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Would you show us what it means to be people transformed by the hope that we have in you, by the fact that you tell us that you treasure us and by the power that you say is working in and through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we approach God, let's remember that he is our Father in heaven that he is a good father, and he invites us into relation with him.
Scripture, Jesus teaches us how to pray. So let's pray these words together and then we're going to sing them. So we're going to pray them in worship as well. So read these words together with me, starting with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we sing this last song, let's remember that God is present and that he's in control even now. And let's ask him to open the eyes of our hearts to see that he is with us and that his love for us is strong. Heavenly Father, you always amaze me. Let your kingdom come in my world and in my life. Give me the food I need to live through today. Forgive me as I forgive. far from temptation deliver me from the evil one look out the window birds are composing not a note is out of
Midtown, it was really good to get to worship with you today. And as we leave now to go out into the world, um, I just want to remind you uh, what it was that we just heard Paul pray for us. Um, Paul prayed that we would be filled with hope. And it's my prayer for us that as we leave today that we would be filled with hope. Um, Paul prayed that we would be filled with riches. And it's my prayer for you today and for myself that we would be filled with riches. And finally, Paul prayed that we would be filled with the immeasurable greatness of His power. Whose power? His, Jesus Christ's. So as we leave, um, it's my prayer for us um, that we would be people who leave full of these things, of, of hope, of riches, and of power. So please go in peace.